0: You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review for Thursday, April 7th, 2021. I'm Coda Babcock. And I'm Ivy Winfrey. And you're tuned in to KCSU Fort Collins.
1: On today's show, Coda covers for Ellie Shannon, who wrote updates in ASCSU plans, and I discuss the results of the April 6th local election.
0: After that, Dixon Lawson updates you on, KC- or on CSU athletics, and then you'll hear a conversation between Ivy and State Senator Faith Winter about State Bill 176.
1: Then, Coda tells us about national transportation issues along with a scandal involving a youth detention center. And Mariel Hahn talks about human impacts of climate change.
0: After that, I'll be giving new information on COVID-19. NCTV features a sneak peek for today's show, which can be watched on Channel 11 at 7 p.m. To
1: conclude the show, Koda will be giving us updates on cybersecurity in the U.S. And I'll be telling you about the weirdest stories I've found recently, including an update from a story of a monument theft from Tuesday.
0: We also want to remind you that it is here at KCSU Fort Collins, so be sure to donate by going online to kcsufm.com slash donate, or by hitting us up on Venmo at kcsufm. Let's move right into campus and local news. Hello everyone, and thanks for listening to this week's campus announcement. This was written by Ellie Shannon, our newscaster here, but I'm Coda Babcock and I'll be covering campus announcements for today. We're still in our 12th week of classes here at Colorado State University, And news from ASCSU keeps coming this week that a pen pal program has been created for CSU students and residents living at the Good Samaritan Society Retirement Village, according to Michael Stella of The Collegian. Cinque Mason, who recently ran for president of ASCSU and is the current intern for the office of the president, thought of the idea. The program has been helping combat loneliness for students and residents of the village by helping them connect, especially during COVID-19. Students who signed up for the opportunity attended a meeting to be paired with a pen pal. There is no word yet on whether this program will occur next year or not. With spring break coming up, some are surprised that CSU is still having one. Many universities canceled their breaks due to the pandemic, but President Joyce McConnell stated to Molly Bohannon of the Coloradoan that the administration felt students needed a week away from school and homework, especially for their mental health. Spring break moved to this upcoming week so that the remainder of the semester could take place virtually, helping to stop the spread of COVID on campus. McConnell is already incentivizing that students have the chance to win $500 for doing up to two saliva screenings per week. Speaking of saliva screenings, students, staff, and faculty members who work, live, or attend classes in person must get one weekly until classes go online. Tests can be done at the Moby Arena parking lot, the Veterinary Teaching Hospital on South Campus, or in the Mac Gym in the Recreation Center. Make sure to also listen to the Rocky Mountain Review Tuesdays and Thursdays from 4 to 5 p.m. Thanks for listening. This is 90.5 FM.
1: Hello, my name is Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. This is your local news for the day. The Fort Collins elections closed their polls Tuesday night with the highest voter turnout in any Fort Collins election in history. According to J.C. Marmaduke at the Colorado Inn, more than 41,000 votes were cast in the Fort Collins municipal elections, attracting 25% more votes than in the 2019 election. The turnout represented 36% of registered voters within city limits, which is notably not a record. Of the winner's election night, state representative Jenny Ardent won the mayoral race with more than 63% of the vote. The resolution for Fort Collins to buy the Hughes Stadium site passed with 70% of voters in favor. And formal council member Kelly Olson won his District 5 seat with more than two-thirds of the vote. Other voting successes include the passage of the ban of single-use plastic bags at large grocery stores, District 3 candidate Trisha Cancinao won her race for a council seat, Shirley Peel won her race for the District 4 seat, and District 1 incumbent Susan Gutowski won re-election into her position. While there are still votes being counted for military and overseas voters, if the current election results stand, that would mean that Fort Collins City Council would be made up of six women and one man, making it the broadest female majority governing body in Colorado. The new council members are expected to be sworn in April 27th, when the council will also pick a new mayor pro tempore. Larimer County is hoping to reach herd immunity by Memorial Day, but health officials express concerns about rising uh, cases. According to Sadie Swanson at the Coloradoan, County Public Health Director Tom Gonzalez told county commissioners Tuesday that county health officials hope to have 65% of Larimer County residents aged 16 and up vaccinated with at least one dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. With that percent of the population vaccinated, in addition to the approximately 25% of residents health officials believe had COVID-19 and still have natural immunity, Gonzalez says that uh, the county Could get to herd immunity by Memorial Day weekend. Health officials have previously said that 70% of the population would need to be vaccinated to reach herd immunity, but reaching herd immunity is still on the other side of challenges like limited vaccine supply and rising cases in Larimer County, Gonzalez warns. Gonzalez says that the county's seven-day case rate per 100,000 residents has almost doubled in the last three weeks, and the percentage of positive tests over the last two weeks has risen about 6%. Gonzalez says, quote, the virus is out there, the virus is active, and transmission is still very high. Gonzalez says that the case rate has dropped for residents aged 60 and older now that more than 50% of residents in those age groups have at least received at least one vaccine, But county health officials are concerned about a spike in cases for those ages 50 to 59, and only 40% of that age group has received at least one dose of the vaccine. Gonzalez says that cases are rising particularly in residents age 18 to 30, with the biggest increase in those ages 25 to 30, largely due to indoor and unmasked gatherings. As the weather warms, Gonzalez encourages people to socialize outside while maintaining social distance as much as possible because the virus is less transmissible in open air and outdoor environments. Cases in children ages 11 to 17 have also spiked as in-person learning continues, and Gonzalez reminded families to make sure that they're still following quarantine instructions. While children are often asymptomatic, they can still spread the virus to others, he says. Health Department spokesperson Corey Wilford says the county is reviewing the current mask order to determine if any changes need to be made, but they do plan to extend it or until at un- least the end of the school year. Colorado proposed 2022 budget would boost spending on K-12 schools and restore lost funding budget cuts previously made to higher education. According to Jason Gonzalez and Erica Meltzer at Chalkbeat Colorado, the proposed fiscal year 2021-2022 state budget, introduced to the Colorado General Assembly on Monday, amounts to $34.1 billion, a 10.7% increase from the previous budget. The proposed budget includes new funding for Medicaid, transportation needs, and the state pension system on which retired school employees rely. It also creates a 13.5% reserve, nearly double the previous reserve, for both K-12 schools and higher education. The budget returns spending to pre-COVID levels. Joint Budget uh, Committee Chair Senator Dominic Moreno says, quote, This is largely bringing us back to 2019-2020, where we were before the pandemic hit. I wouldn't say this is significantly moving through the ball down the court, end quote. Moreno noted two important exceptions, $100.3 million targeted at college students from low income and first generation backgrounds, and a proposed $560 million reserve in the state education fund. Students who are on their first in their families to attend college have been more likely to put their plans on hold during the pandemic due to family responsibilities and economic hardships, and lawmakers and college leaders want to do more to help them stay on track. The reserve in the state education fund, meanwhile, has two potential uses. It could prevent cuts if revenue declines in coming years, given that the 2021-2022 budget is supported largely by money rolled over from this year. It could also be used to facilitate long-sought changes to Colorado's school finance formula. Many legislators, education advocates, and even district leaders agree that the way the state distributes money to K-12 schools is unfair and doesn't provide enough aid to districts with large numbers of students in poverty. But efforts to change the formula have uh, foundered because some districts would get less money if the formula is changed without a big increase in overall K-12 spending. The state education fund typically ends the year with about $100 million left over, but this budget in the companion bill would result in $560 million left over in the fund. That money could smooth the transition to a new school finance formula. The proposed budget calls for $7.8 billion in spending on K-12 education, an 8.7% increase from 2020 in 2021. Almost $5 billion would come from the state, with the rest covered by school districts. School districts would get close to $9,000 per pupil on average, a 9.7% increase. Colorado's constitution requires that K-12 spending increase by population and inflation each year, but lawmakers withhold funds to pay for other priorities. This amount, known as the Budget Stabilization Factor, ballooned to $1.2 billion last year, but the 2021-2022 budget would hold back only $572 million, the same amount as in 2019 and 2020. This budget also caused for $351 million, a 2% increase, to partially cover extra costs districts incur to educate students with disabilities, those learning English, and gifted and talented students, among others. In addition, it returns $100 million to a fund that helps cash-strap districts with construction projects and restores $6.9 million for other grant programs that were defunded last year to prevent even deeper cuts to base school budgets. In total, the budget calls for $1.2 billion in higher education spending for the next year. The budget will be debated in the state senate this week and state house next week. Typically, lawmakers of both parties bring numerous amendments, and they are likely to be tempted to reallocate portions of the spending proposal backed by the six-member joint mu- budget committee, including substantial education reserves. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and that's all the local news I have for today. You're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins.
2: Hey Rams, we at KCSU are hoping you are having an amazing semester. With being around other individuals in classes, at work, or even with family, we might come in contact with someone who may be ill. And sometimes that means we get ill too. Here are some symptoms of COVID 19 shortness of breath or difficulty breathing, fever, chills, muscle pain, sore throat, new loss of taste or smell, and a cough. If you are experiencing these, remember to get a hold of the testing center at 970 491 7121. That's 970 491 7121. CSU health professionals will see if you qualify for a test and get you tested as soon as possible. And remember, testing for CSU students is free. In the meantime, remember to self-isolate and keep listening to 90.5 KCSU for more great college radio content.
0: Wants to hear your thoughts this April. What do you think is going well in the fight against climate change? Let us know by leaving a voicemail at 970 491 2388 with your thoughts.
3: Good afternoon. My name is Dixon Lawson, and you're tuned into the RMR Sports Report for the week of April 8th, 2021. First up on the schedule, we have volleyball. Last Thursday, we t- they took on New Mexico. That was a 3-0 win for the volleyball team, and then they moved on Saturday for the last game of the season against San Diego State. It was an unfortunate ending to the 2021 season as they were swept on the road in San Diego, California, 0-3. With that, that brings it into the season. There won't be any playoffs because the Rams are unable to finish in first place in the Mountain West. That is UNLV's title. From volleyball, we'll move on to softball. This weekend on April 10th, there will be a double header for the softball team. They will be playing Fresno State at 12 p.m. and 2.30 p.m., as well as tennis also has a match in Laramie, Wyoming, against Fresno State. That will not be it for softball, as then looking forward to Saturday, they will also have a 12 o'clock game against Fresno State, all here at home, cool thing about these softball games is we will be um, going to those games and calling them and getting them up on our website as podcasts hopefully no later than three days after so be sure to check our website kcsufm.com for the results and audio from those games that is going to do it for myself for today's rmr report my name has been dixon lawson and be sure to tune into rmr every tuesday and thursday 4 to 5 p.m for the latest news all around Fort Collins. Be sure to keep it locked at 90.5 KCSU-FM, Fort Collins.
1: Hello there. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and today I am joined by State Senator Faith Winter, who represents Westminster, here to talk with us today about Colorado Senate Bill SB21-176, also known as the Protecting Opportunities and Workers' Rights Act, a bill sponsored by Senator Winter as well as Senator Brittany Peterson, Representative Susan Lotline and Matt Gray, The bill was introduced April 1st and is currently under consideration according to the Colorado General Assembly website. Senator Winter, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank
4: you for having me today.
1: So for my first question, would you be able to just give us a brief summary in your words of what the bill intends to do and what problems it's trying to solve?
4: Absolutely. Um, Our workplace has changed significantly over the last 40 years. And in light of the Me Too movement, The expectations of respect and culture at the workplace, both on sexual harassment and racial racial harassment, have changed. And it's time to update our laws and expectations to reflect those needs in a modern workforce.
1: The bill seeks to broaden who qualifies for protections under Colorado's anti-discrimination statute extending employee protections to independent contractors and volunteer workers as well as defining caregivers as a protected class. Do you know how roughly how many workers in Colorado would be gaining protections under this bill if it was passed?
4: I don't know the exact numbers, but we you're working in an economy where there are more and more gig workers every single day, and what we do know about sexual harassment and about racial harassment is it's not about sex, it's about power. And these employees are often in the least positions of power. These are nannies, they're home workers, they're healthcare workers, they're house cleaners, they're Uber and Lyft drivers. These folks are put into positions of power disparity every single day, making them more vulnerable towards workplace harassment, and they deserve to be protected.
1: What was the process you went through in writing this bill, and did you consult with any organizations or experts in the process of drafting it?
4: We consulted with many organizations and experts, especially employment lawyers. We worked with many employment lawyers that talked about how they work with women that have experienced harassment and they don't have a remedy for correction right now in Colorado because our standard is severe and pervasive. There's been women that have been sexually assaulted at work that have no legal recourse on workplace harassment, because it doesn't meet the standard.
1: Some have compared the bill to California's Private Attorneys Generals Act because of its provisions that allow employees who are subjected to illegal labor code violations to directly bring cases against their employers who violate the state's labor codes. Did you draw inspiration from the Private Attorney Generals Act when writing this bill? And are there any other sources of inspiration you drew from when writing the bill? That was not a
4: source of inspiration. And we have since removed that piece of the law. And so right now we are still maintaining that the process to file a complaint is through the Colorado Civil Rights Division. It's not through court. So that is something that we have changed. Truly my inspiration is from one, myself having faced workplace harassment repeatedly throughout my life. Many of my friends, my colleagues, having faced workplace harassment and many of my constituents having faced workplace harassment. And my constituents have told me repeatedly that there's no recourse, there's no accountability, and there's no remedy. And we need people to be able to go to work and not be harassed.
1: Some critics of the bill have said that some of the definitions within are too broad and unspecific in the way they may define employers in violation of labor laws and could open employers to much more liability than necessary. Specifically, the Colorado Municipal League pointed to the bill's definition of a hostile work environment, which defines the offensive conduct needed to be considered a hostile work environment, quote, undermines the individual's personal sense of well-being or safety, end quote, among other things. The CML also noted that the bill says that harassing conduct doesn't necessarily need to fit legal definitions of severe or pervasive that are requirements in similar laws, such as Title VI of the Civil Rights Act, in order to create a hostile work environment. Um, What's your opinion of these criticisms, uh, saying that the definitions are too broad?
4: That criticism is saying that people don't deserve to feel safe at work. And I think everyone deserves to feel safe at work. Of course we want definitions that are easy to follow and we are willing to narrow those definitions. However, when you listen to the testimony, there was a lot of folks that said harassment exists and women should get over it. And I think everyone deserves to show up in the morning be as productive as possible and feel safe and when we have folks in this state that have faced sexual assault and sexual harassment and it does not meet the standard of severe and pervasive it is clearly time that we update our standard
1: critics have also noted that the bill only protects employers from liability for harassment claims only if there's been a documented success in preventing the harassment in that there were no previous employee complaints of retaliation within the past six years. They say that documented success is too vague a term and that this would open up employers to too much liability, even in cases where there was no proven retaliation. What's your opinion of these criticisms?
4: So first of all, that's documented success on retaliation. And that's very different than having documented success on preventing harassment. So what this is saying is you are protected from liability if you as an employer have not retaliated against someone for coming forward.
1: Um, All right. Uh, How confident are you that this bill will pass?
4: This bill has a long way to go. There will be many amendments and it will be narrowed. And ultimately, I believe that people in the state deserve to enter a workplace every single morning, free from racial and sexual harassment. And that's my goal.
1: How urgent do you think the issues are that this bill is attempting to address?
4: Extremely urgent.
1: All right. Uh, Those are all the questions I have for today. Uh, Again, I've been speaking with Colorado State Senator Faith Winter, talking with us about the Protecting Opportunities and Workers' Rights Act. The bill is currently under consideration. If you want to read the bill for yourself, you can do so at leg.colorado.gov. If you want to find Senator Winter, you can go to her Twitter handle at FaithWinterCO. Senator Winter, thank you so much for talking with us today.
4: Thank you for having me today.
2: ACSU thanks Tribal Rights for their continued underwriting support. Tribal Rights is located on College Avenue in Old Town, Fort Collins, and is a full custom
0: tattoo, body
2: piercing, and jewelry studio. Learn more at TribalRightsTattoo.com.
0: And we are back on the Rocky Mountain Review. You just heard about State Bill 176 with Ivy Winfrey. I'm Koda Babcock, and you're listening to the National News Highlights for Thursday. Six people were charged in connection with the abuse of 11 children in a New Hampshire youth detention center, according to Holly Raymer of the Associated Press. The allegations relate to Sununu Youth Services Center, previously known as the Youth Development Center. One case reports two former employees sexually assaulting a teenage boy 82 times in the 1990s, and while that charge was dropped, the two men faced rape charges Wednesday. Four others also faced charges related to this, with two of them being charged with acting as accomplices to the abuse, while the remaining two were also charged for sexual abuse. Allegations against these former employees range in years between 1994 and 2005. This continues an ongoing civil lawsuit which claimed 150 staffers abused more than 200 former patients from 1963 until 2018. President Biden continues talks of major investments in infrastructure, with Amtrak releasing new 2035 rail plans. According to Laurel Ramsley at National Public Radio, Biden unveiled the new infrastructure proposal last week, which includes plans to fix unsafe bridges and fix crumbling roads in the U.S. Along with this, $85 billion are expected to go towards public transit. As a result, Amtrak released a map and plan for its 2035 high-speed rail system. This includes fast trains between major cities and aims to support commuters in decreasing the hours each year spent commuting by car. Some features of the rail include a line connecting all Texas cities and a line to connect Midwestern cities to each other. Amtrak commented on the new plan saying, quote, many of the country's biggest and fastest growing metropolitan areas with diverse populations don't have the rail service they deserve, end quote. Sixteen people died in a bus crash near the southern U.S. border according to Rafael Carranza at the Arizona Republic. Fourteen injuries were also reported, and both buses involved carried mine workers to the Noche Buena mine. The crash occurred around 3.30 in the morning Wednesday, and all of the 16 that died, died at scene. They were riding on the smaller of the two buses, and the 14 survivors that were injured traveled on the larger bus and received treatment in a nearby hospital. All victims in the accident were from Mexico and worked for a gold mine owned and operated by there's Neo P- PLC, a Mexican British firm. The gold mine began operations in 2012 and the crash involved a head-on collision of the two buses. That's all for National News Highlights. I'm Cutter Babcock and you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins. Now we're going to he- be hearing about human perception of the world and climate change. Make sure to stay tuned because after that we're also going to be hearing the newest COVID nineteen statistics and updates.
5: Those who contemplate the beauty of the earth find reserves of strength that will endure as long as life lasts. There is something infinitely healing in the repeated refrains of nature. The assurance that dawn comes after night and spring comes after winter. Rachel Carson.
6: Hello, my name is Claire Toggin and you just heard from Mariel Hahn, a student here at Colorado State University, who is our guest speaker on the podcast today. Hi Claire, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks for asking. How are you? I'm great. So today you're joining me to discuss how the human perception of the environment has changed over time, correct? Exactly. And not just how our perception of the environment has changed, but what the
5: real effects of that change have been, and why it's so important for us to view the environment differently going forward.
6: So what were our first perceptions of the environment? Well, a couple hundred thousand
5: years ago, when humans first evolved, we existed almost like any other species does in the environment. We were a fundamental part of the ecosystem, and while we can't really know exactly what we thought about ourselves that long ago, I think it's pretty reasonable to say that we didn't have this view of nature as something separate from ourselves. We lived pretty harmoniously with nature as hunter-gatherers.
6: And how does that contrast to more recent perceptions of the environment?
5: So around the Industrial Revolution and up until the present day, humans have had an extractive view of nature. We began to alter our environment in a way that hadn't been done before, so it would be the most profitable in a capitalistic system. We began mining for fossil fuels and minerals around the world to sell for profit. And as the world started to globalize, we could see the benefits of drawing raw materials out of the ground, and that helped more people make money. Another example would be how farmers get crops from the land. And with monocropping, they could create more agricultural products than ever. But to do this, there was a shift towards using pesticides and herbicides. Now, in recent years, we've shifted our view of nature again. The publication of Rachel Carson's Silent Spring in the 1960s launched what today we know as the environmental movement, the environmental movement in conjunction with con- the environmental movement in conjunction with conservation efforts, have been incredible at protecting our environment from large corporations who are seeking profit through resource extraction. However, while setting aside land does protect nature, it keeps it separate from us and actually helps to justify this harmful utilitarian perspective of nature. Essentially, by protecting lands in national parks and forests. It makes it seem like the rest of nature is indispensable and can be dominated over without
6: consequence. This is interesting because a lot of people see wilderness preservation as the best solution for maintaining a healthy planet. But it sounds as though the conservation movement isn't really doing enough to preserve nature. Are there other relationships with nature that exist besides these two?
5: Yes, there's also something called traditional ecological knowledge. I learned about traditional ecological knowledge through a research paper published by Raymond Periodi and Daniel Wildcat. They discuss how traditional ecological knowledge describes the perspective and relationship that indigenous populations have developed through their long history in coexistence with nature. It's based around the understanding that nature and humans have a symbiotic relationship. So while humans are dependent on nature for their survival, nature is just as dependent on us in order to be healthy and function at its best. This can be seen through specific fishing practices, so that rivers stay healthy, or even through the removing of dead plants and forests, so only the stronger ones grow. This relationship between nature and humans have been developed over hundreds of thousands of years, so it's an incredibly well-established one. It's just not widely understood outside the indigenous community. The conservation movement and utilitarian perspective contrast with traditional ecological knowledge. The intimate relationship that early humans and today's indigenous populations have had with nature hardly exists anymore. The extractive view of nature pushed western society to want to control nature, and the conservation movement taught us that nature is better separate from humans. Both of these perspectives have encouraged an idea that humans should not be a part of nature, and we are now starting to see the consequences of our absence from wilderness. The documentary film Tending the Wild dives into a lot of them, But here at home, I think about how we've just had the two largest wildfires in Colorado history. These fires grew to be so large just because of the dead brush and needles that have built over time. The practice of forest management that indigenous populations have followed made use of knowledge gained from thousands of years of experimenting. They learned that fire was actually necessary in order to keep forests healthy, which is why these large fires haven't happened in the past. The practice of traditional ecological knowledge helped to prevent these fires in the past because indigenous populations have had such an intimate relationship with nature that they understand the need for activities such as controlled burning.
6: Have you seen the use of traditional ecological knowledge in any new policies regarding the environment? Yes, actually. The documentary, Tending the Wild that I mentioned
5: earlier, discusses some. And recently, especially with the massive forest fires in Colorado and in California, Government officials and conservationists are looking towards indigenous approaches of traditional ecological knowledge to better understand how to prevent these devastating events in the future. So this could be increasing controlled burns in the forest to safely remove pine needles and brush that build on the forest floor. But our utilitarian approach to nature that we've had, this desire to control and manipulate nature to our advantage, has caused so many widespread consequences that now humans have affected everything in every corner of the planet. We have already created so many devastating changes to our environment that we have now entered what is known as the Anthropocene.
6: Can you elaborate on what the Anthropocene is and what you think would be the best approach to changing our perceptions in relationship with nature in the future?
5: So a lot of people have never actually heard of the Anthropocene, which is understandable, unless you've studied geology or anthropology. It doesn't really come up a lot. I learned about the Anthropocene through a book called The Sixth Extinction by Elizabeth Colbert. And she talks about how the Anthropocene is the new and current geologic epoch. It's defined by the fact that humans have altered the composition of the Earth so much that we have left a noticeable difference in the geologic record. In other words, there is no place in the world that hasn't been affected or changed by the presence of humans. And we have a long list of impacts to the planet. Most of the world's rivers have been dammed or diverted. We've used more than half of the world's fresh, accessible water runoff. And fertilizer plants produce more nitrogen than is fixed naturally by all terrestrial ecosystems. These are all changes that we have made to the planet. And they affect the smallest organisms in an ecosystem. And even have reciprocal effects on ourselves. For example, diverting water not only affects the lives of organisms in the water... It changes who has access to water amongst human populations. Now, we can't exactly undo what we've done in the past to make our impact on the Earth disappear. But moving forward, we can start to make some changes. For me, and hopefully for other people, by learning about the impact we've had on the Earth, we can reframe our perception of our place in the world. We aren't separate from nature. So whether you're in your backyard or in Rocky Mountain National Park, what we do is going to have an effect on the environment. And if we don't realize that soon, we're going to have an incredible crisis on our hands.
6: How do you suggest shifting our view of nature in the future? And why do you think that it's so important that we do?
5: So this is a tricky thing to do. If you live in New York City or even a place like Fort Collins, it's super easy to feel distant from nature. We don't gather our own food and we don't really see where our garbage goes after we throw it away. Everything has become super easy for us. And we have been taught that in order to experience nature, we have to leave our house and our towns and go somewhere where people don't live. But we are beginning to approach a tipping point with climate change, and a lot of scientists say that we have until between 2030 and 2050 to make a significant reduction in our environmental footprint. The researcher George Lakoff published a brilliant research paper on the idea of framing, which is basically understanding the different systems that make up an idea or a subject. In his paper, he discusses why it matters how we frame the environment, how different individuals like conservatives and liberals frame the environment affect the policies they support, for example. But with regard to the environment, we are lacking a lot of frames because we have taught ourselves that humans are and should be separate from nature through these utilitarian and conservation practices. We need to change this frame of our separation from nature because when we do, we'll have more empathy and compassion for what happens to nature in the future. We need the public to really understand the symbiotic relationship between humans and nature so that we can mobilize quicker and create more effective change. Recognizing the Anthropocene is an important step in this because it signifies that climate change is human-induced, which means we have a responsibility to fix it. But I think one of the big things that the public needs to do is reframe how we think we can be a positive change for the environment. We've been taught that individual changes and sacrifices are what will make the biggest impact But Lakoff argues that it's really political change that is the most important. And I agree with him. We need to incorporate traditional ecological knowledge into government policies. But I think the easiest thing we can do is work at an individual level to reestablish our connection with nature. We need to try and think about where our food comes from and how we have an impact on the planet. This will create that movement for supporting changes in government policies that are necessary. And of course,
6: educating ourselves about the environment and our history with it will help with this too. So it sounds like there's a whole variety of things that can be done to fix our relationship in, with nature in order to prevent this global tipping point. Exactly. Well, I think your talk with me today really helped informed a lot of listeners and hopefully started a small change in some of their lives. I hope so too. Thanks so much for joining me today. I hope to see some changes in environmental policy soon. Thank you.
0: KCSU wants to hear your thoughts this April. What do you think is going well in the fight against climate change? Let us know by leaving a voicemail at 970-491-2388 with your thoughts.
5: Hey KCSU
0: listeners, our biannual annual fundraiser is April 5th through the 10th. You count on KCSU to provide the most entertaining radio. We provide the chance for students to become reporters, radio hosts, freelance producers, and creators. In turn, you get to hear more great content come out of 90.5 KCSU KCSU for Calls. Want to support student creators and your future content? Call
6: 970-491-5278 or donate online at kcsufm.com slash donate.
0: I'm Kota Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on KCSU Fort Collins, now for Thursday's COVID-19 updates. Colorado State University reports over 3,000 COVID-19 cases among students, faculty, and staff since May 2020. Students, staff, and faculty are expected to get COVID-19 screenings until courses go online, and are still encouraged to do so once a week following the move to virtual. Larimer County reports over 23,000 cases and a high-risk score for COVID-19, along with 234 recorded deaths. The county also reports 430 outbreaks and nearly 200,000 vaccine doses administered. On the state-style framework, Larimer County sits at level yellow, concern, and reports 100 new positive cases in the last 24 hours. Each day in the past two weeks saw at least 15 new daily cases, and two days in the past two weeks saw over 10% of tests administered come back positive, in ca- indicating a spike in cases. The county's 14-day case rate rose up to 384 cases per 100,000 residents, which is considered high. 32 COVID patients receive treatment in area hospitals, which are at 80% capacity. Intensive care unit utilization is at 87% Larimer County. The state of Colorado reports over 472,000 cases and over 6,200 deaths due to COVID-19. million people received testing in the state, which reports over 4,400 outbreaks. 1.9 million Coloradans received their first dose of the vaccine, and 1.1 million are fully immunized. Nationally, the United States reports 30.9 million cases of COVID-19, with an increase of 73,000 Wednesday. Deaths reached over 558,000, with an increase of over 2,500 cases. Cases increased by 14% in the past 14 days, while deaths decreased by 31% in the same time period. Hospitalizations are increasing across the nation, and around 20% of the total population is fully vaccinated. The best methods in COVID-19 prevention for those not currently immune to the virus through both doses of the vaccine include washing your hands regularly, using hand sanitizer, wearing face masks, and keeping social distance from others outside your household. Information from this segment comes from CSU's COVID site, Larimer County, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, the Centers for Disease Control, National Public Radio, and the New York Times. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins on 90.5 FM. Next up on the Rocky Mountain Review, we're hearing from Krista McAllister about tonight's coverage on CTV Channel 11.
7: Hey there, everyone. My name is Krista McAllister, and I am the Entertainment Director for CTV. Tonight, we are having our very last scheduled show for the semester, and we would love to be the ones to give you all of the Fort Collins news and entertainment that you're looking for. We start off all of our shows with the most breaking news. Tonight, news anchors Kenneth Frederick and Weston Hubbard will be telling you all about a skateboarder who was killed in a car crash last night. They will also let you know how you can work with the city of Fort Collins to get rid of any remaining branches from that snowstorm we had. They will finish up by talking about new affordable housing options that are coming to Fort Collins in an unexpected place. After taking a quick break, weather anchor Morgan Gardner will let you know what kind of weather to expect today, as well as going into spring break. I know that I'm hoping for lots of sun, but I guess I'll find that out tonight. For our second news segment, Samantha Medley will be talking about the newly instituted Rams-REED program that has helped students remain engaged in social issues while not being able to be as social as normal. We will finish up this part of the show by recounting the election results from the Fort Collins mayor elections, as well as telling you what this will mean for other issues posed to our city. After going through all of this need-to-know information, we will get into the more relaxing part of the show. Brendan Fairbairn will be giving us the lowdown on all things sports. With March Madness ending, sports fans will want to know the details about what's been going on with their other favorite teams, and Brendan has all of this and more. In the final segment of The Blitz, he will let us know how CSU's softball team fared against Weber State last week. He will also tell us his thoughts on how the Denver Broncos should decide on their new quarterback. So many tough decisions, but Brendan will walk us through it all. And to close out the show, we will hear from entertainment anchor Tom Isaacson about all of the spice in entertainment news. Tom will let us know about a West Coast gem that has its eye on opening a restaurant here in Northern Colorado. He will also help to maintain our faith in humanity by talking about a scholarship program that is reaching a decade old, as well as all of the festivals that are looking to come back after nearly a year of leaving us musicless. This is only a sneak peek of what all we have in store, so make sure to tune in to CTV 11 tonight at 7 in order to find out what else you need to know about Fort Collins. This is our last scheduled show of the semester, so you really won't want to miss it. We will continue to get you the information you need after spring break, so don't forget to tune back in once we're all remote. Seeing those friendly faces at CTV is sure to break up your Zoom blues. Make sure to keep checking us out for the rest of the semester, and I hope to see you all in the fall. Need to know how to fix your bike but don't know where to begin? The Hex Wenches at the Fort Collins Bike Co-op can teach you how to take care of your bike in an inclusive space during one of the educational series in the spring or fall. Hands-on classes are welcome to cis and trans women, non-binary, genderqueer, trans, and queer folks. More information can be found on their Facebook page, The Hex Wenches, or email hexwenches at gmail.com.
0: And we are back on the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm Koda Babcock, and these are tech news updates for Thursday. Facebook removed hundreds of accounts tied to an Iranian exile group. According to the Associated Press, the removed accounts criticized Iran's government and were in support of the MEK, which is an opposition group against the Iranian government. The MEK is responsible for the deaths of Americans prior to the 1979 Islamic Revolution. The US government labeled MEK along with the National Council for Resistance in Iran as terrorist organizations until 2012. The group of fake accounts activity was highest in 2017 and then again in late 2020, and included more than 300 accounts, pages, and Facebook groups. Instagram also removed many of these accounts. Around 112,000 people followed at least one of the accounts on Instagram. The US National Security Agency is looking to fix what they call a blind spot in cybersecurity. According to Greg Meyer from National Public Radio, the NSA currently only collects intelligence information from foreign nations rather than from within the U.S. Army General Paul Nakasone says that our adversaries, quote, understand the laws and policies that we have within our nation, and so they're utilizing our own infrastructure, our own internet service providers, to create these intrusions, end quote. This comment came in response to the major breach last year of the solar Wind software, which the NSA had no legal authority to monitor. The software was sent out to tens of thousands of organizations, including nine U.S. government agencies. The Fourth Amendment bars the NSA from engaging in domestic surveillance, and this complicated how well and how fast the U.S. government detects and responds to security breaches like SolarWinds. This means that the U.S. government has to find a way to continue protecting individual privacy rights while still preventing access to intelligence from foreign adversaries. That's all for Tech News. I'm Koda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on KCSU Fort Collins, 90.5 FM. If you want to help us reach our goal, this DJ-a-thon, you can donate at kcsufm.com donate, or hit us up on Venmo at KCSU FM.
2: Hey. KCSU has a website that hosts all of our podcasts, articles, and videos.
6: Any volunteers who want to write about anything.
2: That can include sports, music, pop culture,
6: or anything else. You can reach out to the web department for ideas or support, and your content just might show up on kcsufm.com.
2: To get started, email us at web at kcsufm.com. Now, back to music on 90.5 KCSU for Collins
0: my name is timothy myler and i've been with kcsu going on two years now what i value most from kcsu both as an employee and a listener is learning about the diverse range of genres and messages that exist within music and kcsu consistently does a wonderful job in representing that range for our listeners to continue supporting kcsu in supplying the diversity of music it offers You can join Club 905 by signing up for monthly payments of only $7.50 by calling 970-491-5278 or by donating online at kcsufm.com slash donate.
1: Hello there, my name is Ivy Winfrey and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. This is the Rocky Mountain Review. Today we have an update on Tuesday's weird news. The Confederate monument chair worth over $500,000 stolen from an Alabama cemetery will be returned, albeit with modifications that fashion the chair into a toilet. According to Carol Robinson at AL.com, the group that claimed to have stolen the monument, or an organization which calls itself White Lies Matter, says that they would give the chair to the United Daughters of the Confederacy if the organization agreed to hang a banner outside its Richmond, Virginia headquarters. They demanded that the UDC hang the banner at 1 p.m. Friday, the anniversary of the Confederacy's surrender in the Civil War, and leave it there for 24 hours. The banner bears a quote from Asada Shakur, a Black Liberation Army activist wanted by the FBI for the 1973 murder of a New Jersey state trooper. The banner says, quote, The rulers of this country have always considered their property more important than our lives. End quote. White Lies Matter said that it already delivered the banner to the UDC. In an email sent to AL.com and other me- media outlets, White Lies Matter states that, quote, Failure to do so will result in the monument, an ornate stone chair, immediately being turned into a toilet. If they do display the banner, not only will we return the chair intact, but we will clean it to boot, end quote. On Wednesday night, however, the group issued this statement, quote, as the UDC has given us every indication that they had no intention of hanging the banner, even going as far as declaring our demands fake news, White Lies Matter has decided to move forward prematurely with the alteration of the chair. It will return to, to the UDC immediately. Photos of the chair seemingly being used as a toilet accompanied the newest statement. White Lies Matter, when asked for more information, said the chair will be surrendered to the UDC tonight. Quote, White Lives Matter will contact them directly with coordinates indicating where the chair is located, White Lives Matter said. The chair will not be returned to the cemetery. Selma Police Chief Kenta Fulford and District Attorney Michael Jackson confirmed the theft and said that they are aware of the ransom demand. The felony theft occurred sometime between midnight and 3 a.m. on March 19th, according to a Selma police report. This is getting stranger and stranger, Jackson said Wednesday night. Hopefully they will clean and sanitize it before they return it. The son of a California man who choked to death during an amateur taco eating contest at a minor league baseball game is suing the event's organizers for negligence. According to the Associated Press, Marshall Hutchings' lawsuit filed Monday alleges his father, Donna Hutchings, was not made aware of the risks and danger involved in an eating competition, the Fresno Bee reported. Donna Hutchings died after choking on tacos while competing in the contest during a Fresno Grizzlies game on August 13, 2019. Participants competed to devour as many tacos as possible during a certain amount of time. The suit names Fresno Sports and Events, the owner of Grizzlies. Grizzlies president Derek Frank said in an email that they do not plan to comment publicly on the issue. Hutchings' attorney, Martin Talsenick said, Professionals in the sport of competitive eating train and make themselves physically ready to participate, but that is not always present in an amateur eating contest. The conductors of this event should have made the risks known to the competitors and taken steps to protect them, end quote. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and that's all the weird news I have for today. You're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. This is the Rocky Mountain Review. And now for the weather.
0: This week was pretty warm with temperatures reaching into the 60s and early 70s friday fort collins expects clouds and harsh winds along with a high of 56 and a low of 29. saturday the warmth will return along with the sun with a high of 71 and a low of 38 with a decrease in wind speeds sunday clouds will come back into the area with a high of 57 and a low of 30 about the same winds as saturday monday is almost identical to sunday but winds will slow down a bit tuesday fort collins can expect rain and snow with 12 mile-per-hour wind speeds and a high of 46 with a low of 29. Next week, the Rocky Mountain Review is taking the week off, so our news team can rest up and continue serving you. If you want to make sure that this is possible, make sure to go online to kcsufm.com donate, or hit us up on Venmo at kcsufm and donate some money for the DJ-a-thon. If you donate $7.50 monthly or a one-time donation of $90.50, you will get a year-long subscription to our Club 905. Club 905 is a great way to stay in touch with KCSU and you get access to exclusive perks along with either a KCSU mug or t-shirt. Again, that website is kcsufm.com slash donate. Information for this segment came from the Weather Channel.
3: All right, this is Truth. You're listening to 90.5 KCSU.
1: And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right
0: now we'd like to thank our guests today as well as thomas taylor asher corn stephanie keel hannah copeland addison lambert Elliot hutchinson matt guzmorati lindsey johnson sam benefe maddie erskine samuel bailey jonathan gillam ben krueger ben haney dixon lawson peter walk taylor sandal and the rest of the staff here at kcsu and rocky mountain student media we couldn't do this without you and i'd like to thank you coda and i'd like to thank you ivy And finally, we couldn't do this without you, dear listener. Thank you. If you want to donate to continue supporting us, you can do so online at kcsufm.com slash donate. And with that, we'll see you next time.